Welcome to Disclaimers Aside, a podcast where I share the raw and honest stories of people in my community, Disclaimers Aside. I'm your host, Aysida Amadou, and let's dive into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Disclaimers Aside. This episode is actually part two to an episode that aired last week. This entire conversation was quite a long episode, so I decided to break them into two parts. So make sure you go back and listen to last week's episode if you guys haven't already. But with that, let's just go ahead and dive back into the conversation. I feel like I was kind of robbed in a sense of diversity in so many ways. During like the time we lived in Kentucky, I went to school with girls that were Mauritanian like my friend like yeah I would even like when I didn't when they moved or something I still like wasn't entirely friends with everyone at school and like when I went home I hung out with girls that were Mauritanian and with people that were Mauritanian so I was primarily around like the Mauritanian community and even to a point like even the scrutiny of everything like even my parents specifically and I'm I like kudos to my dad for deciding at some point like I just need to move my family away from this if that's gonna give me like hate from everybody then so be it so he like made the decision he was like you know the schools they're not that good he was like the school that is in Kentucky or like the one we were going to he's like it's not that great I want to give them like I want to give them like a better school and I also want them to like to give them the chance to like move away from this community and he always told me like the community here is not the same as the community back home he was like back home the community it's loving it's it's there's no hatred there's no envy he was like here everybody envies you he was like if your daughter has something this girl doesn't have then it's an issue and and if you know it's very rare to find people that genuinely love you for like for just you or for the sake of allah which is such a pure love and it's like that's not the case there because everybody is kind of looking out for themselves so if you have money, everybody's on your side. It's all about materialistic things, but also to a point, yeah, I love you, but then if you have something that I don't have, then we kind of have a bit of a problem. In that sense, like, even when he did move us, he moved us to, like, it's a small town called Madeira in Cincinnati, and it is primarily white. So from middle school to high school to, like, graduating, I went to a school where the only even, like, black people there was me. And like me and like my siblings, the only hijabis were me and my sister, you know, and it was interesting in the sense that I just went from such like diverse community, even like in the place that we live, like um, I was I was listening to your podcast with the lion. He was saying like we did live in like um, a place that was very diverse, even like in the sense of like there were Mexicans, there were um, African-Americans, there was like so much diversity in such a small place. And going from that and being constantly surrounded by the Mauritanian community as compared to being like in a pride, like not even, it's literally just, it's primarily white people and even the town, like, and if there was like later when I got to like middle school or like high school, there were like two um, African-Americans, but these were like African-Americans that were adopted by white people. Essentially, I kind of didn't get full diversity and I didn't get minimal diversity. And then I kind of randomly got shoved into like, just like I like literally felt like where do I belong in this like what what made my dad make this decision decision and it was an incredible school just to put that out there it was absolutely incredible 
And I think that school kind of really pushed me um, because it was a very competitive environment. It just pushed me so much and like the teachers, everything about it. I, I genuinely loved it despite like, it was very surprised, like to much surprise even to myself. Like it was very welcoming. People were like asking me like, well, I want to know about your religion. Like, why do you wear that? Like this, this. And yeah, they didn't know, but it was the idea that you were willing to learn and you weren't kind of like, oh, I'm just going to push like this weird, like hijabi girl to the side because like she doesn't belong here. That was kind of, and even like the friends I made, like from, I know like my middle school friends, like I'm, and like everybody like has gone to that school from like middle school to high school. And I'm still like to this day, friends with all these people and like every time I come home we're all home at the same time we're like seeing each other and like calling each other every time we have free time away from college and it's like interesting because I kind of discovered myself and my appreciation for the hijab way more in a predominantly white environment than I did in a diverse community which is like weird but in a sense like I guess in the diverse community, everybody saw it kind of weird. Like, why? Like, I it was still kind of like, ah, oh, she's still weird. Like, why does she wear that? Well, you can take it off. Like, people kind of pressured you to take it off. And it was like, I'm in elementary school. Why are you, like, pressuring me to take them, like, <laughs> to take it off? For me, it just, it was so nice kind of getting to appreciate both aspects. And then, like, moving to college and kind of figuring out, well, now I have this, like, profound like sense of self and what do I do with it like where do I belong now because you know high school you're involved in so much and then it's kind of like there you're constantly being reminded oh like sign up for this do this and then college it's kind of like you look for it or you don't really look for it it's up to you it's definitely nice when you're kind of in the sense of moving for me it's just nice to kind of look back and be like wow like I've had such a mix of experiences and I'm just continuously adding on to them and it's nice because then I'll look at myself and I'll be like when put in a tough situation I know how to handle myself and when put in a situation where there is like stereotypes being thrown around or stuff I know how to handle myself handle myself in a lot of ways I've kind of built an armor of like where literally nothing affects me and I'm sure like it does, but like it just kind of doesn't to the point like when I was younger, I would like go home and cry when I was told like I've had like I remember like in Kentucky specifically, I had like my hijab ripped off in school once and I came home like crying about it. And for a while, like it made me hate the hijab. Like I went through a stage in like elementary school where I hated every aspect of wearing the hijab. I did not want to wear it. I was constantly like arguing with my parents like I don't want to wear this. And like this, like this is not like for me, like the people are mean about it. People like have a lot to say and like the odd questions of like, what do you have under there? And it's like, I don't know. Those are just things that like, I think have built me as a person to like, I take it with a strong mindset that like, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you know, your own ignorance, it's kind of gonna fall back on you. But for me, I'm just kind of gonna walk away and be the better person in this aspect so that's what i've learned from moving away that was so interesting to hear like experiences definitely shape you a lot and i that's one of the things where it's like you can move to like a completely different town and that can change like the entire course of your life it's really interesting to kind of like look back and reflect on that so would you say there's a big muslim community at western michigan university i'm really curious about this because i know michigan 
Like I've always heard like Dearborn, Michigan, it's like Muslim, Arab, Middle Eastern, Central. Oh my God, have you been there? I haven't, but I always see it on TikTok. I've always heard rumors. <laughs> um, that is actually like literally like Arab town. Like you know how there's Chinatown, it's literally Arab town. Yeah. I kid you not, the signs are written in Arabic. That's what I heard. Yesterday I was at an iftar and I met this guy who's from like Michigan, from that part of Michigan. And he was saying that like the signs are written in Arabic. And I was, I was shocked because I don't think I've ever seen that in the US. I honestly was shocked when I first saw it. I had a friend who uh, lived there and so, and her mom was my mom's friend. So we would visit them. And every time, like the first time I visited, I was like so shocked. I was like, everything is in Arabic. I went to like this like bakery, like the bakery's open like at 7 a.m. and you go and you know how um, Aisha is? It's like a pizza pie or whatever. It's like a, it's a Middle Eastern like pizza pie and they make it in the morning. And so I would like my friend, we were there and the guy like he was like, I was like going to order and he was like asking me like in Arabic. And at first, like, it kind of, I, like, I went up to him and I was like, oh, can I get? And he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I was like, so you're not going to take my order? And he just kept saying, no, 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 no. And I was like, okay. And then, like, my friend was like, no, they literally will only take your order in Arabic. And yeah, and it's kind of interesting because, like, every corner there's, like, a masjid or, like, an Islamic center. And every corner there's, like, hijab stores. The amount of modest clothing options there are there like little boutiques that you can go into and like buy like hijabs and like like clothing and I was like that was what shocked me the most because I was like oh my god I feel like I'm literally like in paradise right now like there's so many options of clothing and even like their their like stores like their malls like their H&M is primarily modest clothing and like Zara primarily modest and I'm like the fact that that's like the only option like they're giving more options to like the arab community then like and i guess it makes sense because it is primarily arabs but if you get the chance to come let me know i will give you the grand tour um because i've spent quite a lot of time but um to go back to your question uh western i've heard that there's a lot of arabs i'm friends with a couple but like in the sense that i've probably never seen any besides like the ones that I'm friends with. <laughs> Even like looking at like, you know, when you have a big community of Arabs, you usually have like a bigger um, mosque. The Islamic center is like so small, like it, it like can't fit more than 20 people. So, which makes me think it was probably curated for like 20 people. I have a friend who her dad, he owns a restaurant and a Middle Eastern restaurant. And he was telling us there is a big community, but it's primarily like um, Khalijis, which are like the Saudis, Kuwait, all of those. And so he was saying like, they don't, they don't like to kind of show themselves. He's like, they're kind of hidden from everybody. And so I personally don't, cause even like, we don't have an MSA. Really? Yeah, so that kind of got me to where I was like, yeah, there's definitely not a big like um, Muslim population. That's crazy. Cause so I go to UC Santa Cruz, which is like for context, it's in Northern California. It's like an hour away from San Francisco. It's this place that's like super liberal, right? But it's like, historically a very white area it's a lot of white liberals it's a lot of like old white people that have like their vacation homes and it's that kind of vibe recently like there have been like a few so there's not like a lot of muslims here but we do have an msa like even off campus there's like an islamic center but it's like really small it's like a little house honestly as you described it's like probably fits like 20 people but even with 
like the lack of the Muslim community, we still have like a Muslim student association. Although I will say like from what I've heard from people that have been on like the board and that have been here for a while, it was really hard to get things and fight for things like prayer spaces on campus and like more halal options at the dining halls and things like that. Yeah, I think that probably the nicest thing about Western is everything on campus is halal. So that was really nice for me. But also like, I think the the only time that I've heard that like everybody gets together and you'll see like so many Arabs randomly or like Muslims is when on Fridays, like Jama'a, they do, um, there's this doctor, he's an eye doctor, he's Muslim and he does Fridays, he kind of um, like makes um, or orders food. Cause I know he orders it from my dad's restaurant. Like he'll order like, so much food for the masjid and he does it for the college students and he says it's like to reel them in because his daughter is my friend and she's like and she's like um she will tell me like he says that he's trying to like pull them out of like the hiding <laughs> so it's definitely interesting um because that's the only time i've ever seen like so many arabs is like on fridays the the islamic center is like facing like the recreational center of the university like across from it so like i'll see like so many cars and like but even then it's most of them aren't college kids and if they are like i've met like a couple girls during that time and they're like i don't know i think they just kind of prefer to stay within their own cliques it's very clicky i would like uh, that's like a very important thing to know most arabs are very clicky like once they find a group of arabs that's it so i think maybe there is i personally haven't seen that much that is really tough because i think especially during the month of ramadan right now as we're recording it's ramadan it can be really difficult when you're far away from home because a lot of important aspects of ramadan are rooted in family and community and togetherness so i've found that like one of the things that's really helped is like having msa and having like a community and like a support system that i have honestly seen it on your stories and i'm like she's so lucky like how is that even a like i'm like i'm so like fascinated that we don't have it like that's kind of interesting to me but even in the sense of like community my roommate she's mauritanian actually and we both know each other yeah we she's international we knew each other uh, a while back and she's an international student we live together so like Currently, like, Ramadan, me and her are, like, cooking it up every time we get the chance. We, most of the time, like, we make, like, food. Like, the food we have to, like, fry because, like, you know, samosas and, like, fateh, stuff like that. We, like, kind of make it at night because that's when we have energy to study. <laughs> so, like, we'll study and then make it and, like, freeze it just to, like, because we'll get home late. And so it's nice to, like, have her around because then we'll, like, we'll sit around and we'll, like, like, it's still, like, the sense of, like, me and her only talking Hassani most of the time. And like we're constantly with each other and it's nice to have that sense of uh, familiar, like familiarity. I can't say that word for some reason. Uh, of like home, essentially, I do feel like I'm home when I'm around her. And like even like before, uh, before Ramadan, like during spring break, my uh, a couple, like a couple weeks before Ramadan or the, a couple of days actually before. Sorry, I'm out of it. My mom came and she cooked us like a bunch of food and was like, OK, you're, you're good for Ramadan. <laughs> And so it's really nice. But I just, I couldn't, personally, I couldn't do the, I, don't, I think you're living in a dorm, right? Yeah, I just, I did it for like the first year. And then I just, I personally, like, I just, I know people say like when you live on campus, you kind of meet people and you like, that's when you kind of get the sense of college. But like living on dorms, I don't know. It just kind of made me feel like super homesick all the time. 
And I just felt like I was, I didn't, it didn't really feel like I was at home in any sense. So I just, I couldn't do the living at home situation. And so when she was transferring and she was like, hey, like, I'm looking for an apartment. I was like, let me be, I was like, let's be roommates. And it was, it just kind of worked out perfectly. So Alhamdulillah, I'm, gl- I'm glad that worked out for you guys. So really quickly, I want to shift the conversation to talk about Muhammad Slahi. For anyone who isn't familiar with this story, Muhammad is a Mauritanian citizen who was detained at Guantanamo Bay detention camp without charge from 2002 until his release on October 17, 2016. And then in 2015, Slahi wrote a memoir while imprisoned, which the U.S. government declassified in 2012 with numerous redactions. Um, So the memoir was published as Guantanamo Diary um, in 2015, and it became an international bestseller. And recently, a film was also created based on the memoir called The Mauritanian that you guys should definitely check out. Watch it on Prime Video. Um, So you had the amazing experience to talk to him. What was that like? It was honestly really incredible. It kind of shocked me because he was just so like down to earth and almost like talking to him was like I was shocked because I was like how did this person go through so much trauma and this is how they turned out and like he is an absolute inspiration and like the most like spiritual person I've ever met and to understand the idea of being spiritual and religious at the same time when you have those two and you know how to connect them it's definitely it's it's incredible and I I'm, I was speechless when I spoke to him. I first I approached him. He's a family friend, and I had was telling my dad about an assignment I had, and I was like, I have to like interview someone who like is actually like interesting in some way and has gone through something. And he was like, Well, why don't you why don't you um interview Muhammad? Like he he's gone through a lot. And so I reached out to him, and he was like so kind. He was like oh my god, I'd love to, like, he was so upbeat, <laughs> and he was like, I would love to, he was like, me, you really want to interview me, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> and it was kind of surprising, I was like, you have a bestseller, and you're surprised that I want to interview you, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, it kind of shocks me, like, what, it, what, what interests you about me that would make you want to, like, interview me, and I was like, this man, like, it, it's almost like he doesn't even know, like, like, I don't know. It was incredible. It was interesting in the sense that I got a lot of, like, behind the kind of redactions stories. And that, I think, that, like, broke me. And, like, seeing, like, in the sense, like, when you were saying, like, cause versus text, like, talking to him, like, and being able to hear his voice and, like, hearing how, like, his voice was breaking and, like, he was, like, holding in a lot. That was, like, that kind of hurt. And at some point, he, during, like, my conversation with him, he, like, started breaking down. And I was like, I was like, oh, my God. How is this the same person that, like, just is so strong and compassionate and and learning from him and just everything, like, even now, like, all, like, when the movie came out, I texted him and I was like, like, congratulations, like, I'm so happy, it was so good to see it, and he was telling me, he was like, yeah, now you finally get to see something that represents Muritan for you, because I was, like, making, I don't know, he was like, isn't it funny that Americans, like, don't know where Mauritania is? (laughs) When I, like, texted him, he was like, now they'll know at least what Mauritania is, (laughs) or, like, have some sense of, oh, you know, 
I have a connection to Mauritania. And I was like, yeah. And he was really, he was like so cute about the movie. He was like, guess what? Like they're coming here to film it. Like they're coming to Mauritania. And at some point I was like, he's kind of like a kid when you really look at it. But also like so much of his life was taken away. And um, even when I asked him, I was like, like one of the most like I was like did you really like forgive them and every like he like did you mean that and he was like in every aspect like he was like every inch of my body every bone every broken arm every broken bone they had hurt or broken every jaw they had punched forget forgave them he was like I forgave them in every way possible he was like because to hold on to that grudge would have killed me and would have taken away so much from me and to hold on to this experience. He was like, what I've taken from this experience is that Allah is great. He was like, you know, you trust the path. You trust that, yeah. He was like, I'm putting, I'm being put through this, but there's a reason. He was like, the whole time I was like, he was like, I don't think I ever asked. He was like, I would ask Allah, like I would be like, take me out of this misery. And then he was like, I would feel selfish. He was like, I would feel selfish for asking that. And that shocked me because like when I think of it, I'm like, sometimes I ask for like things that are like unimportant. <laughs> and like most of the time, like I'm like reading Ayatul Kursi before an exam and being like, oh Allah, please let me pass this class. And like, it doesn't make me feel selfish. And, he, and here's a person who is being beaten day and night, tortured day and night and feels selfish asking to be taken out of this misery, to even just for a day, for an hour, have some sort of peace. And that, that, I don't know, that just shook me to my core. And I would, I asked him, I was like, but like, how does that even like, you know, Allah is there to answer the prayers to, you know, to um, take us out, you know, it's a, it's a test. And he was telling me, well, it's a test. And he was like, and in my head, I thought, well, I, I'm being tested. This test, it will eventually pass. He was like, Allah knows best, and eventually he will take me out of this misery, and he will do it in the best way possible. And I asked him, I was like, did you think that there was a chance of you being like, well known or your story being shared? He was like, no. He was like, but again, when I tell you that Allah knows best, and he will take me out of this in the best way possible, that was, he was like, for me, he did. He took me out, he was like, my story, never in a million years did I think anybody would be able to even know what I went through. And that is something that God made possible. And to me, that that was incredible just to see, you know, like, I feel like, especially our generation, like, when push comes to serve and, like, the smallest inconvenience happens, we just kind of shut down. And we just kind of, like, the world kind of stops for a minute. And it's like, nothing makes sense. Like, we don't understand why not, something's not going our way. Even me, like, I talked to him at a time where, I was very like kind of um, confused. Like I think just being living in dorms, living away from home, it was just a hard time for me. And to like be like, okay, well here I am. And yeah, I mean, I can't complain, but like what do I possibly have to complain about? A lot of like the shocking, like even like the sense that he, like he told me like there's like times where he kind of, he still has that PTSD so often like he prefers not to like sleep around people like to this day um, because he'll wake up, just wake up in shock and think that like his brain is still there. So when I asked, I was like, what was the most like 
what did you ever at a time there feel like you had peace and when I asked it I kind of was like oh god like I'm sorry this is like probably like the dumbest question anybody's asked you and like there probably wasn't and he and he surprisingly was like yeah he was like a guard uh one of his guards who currently he is still one of his like closest friends would like give him would like sit and talk to him and like I don't know like would give him books and be like read this and then come back and like have a conversation with him about it I, he was like in that hardship I found a friend he was like and in that hardship I found I found myself reading the Quran and he was like and when they took it away I found myself reading it from memory he was like when they tried to keep me up all night I found myself finding peace he was like almost I wasn't tired he was like they would force you to be up he was like deprive you of sleep and as I was reading those surat and I was asking he was like I would ask for I would be like God forgive me God you know ya Allah like do this ya Allah this and he was like and I would almost feel like I was asleep with my eyes open and he was like and and that was like I was like you know you hear a lot about miracles and you hear, hear a lot about how much mercy he has and how much we get and we kind of look over and to hear someone say it from experience is honestly like incredible such an eye-opening experience even now like sometimes when I like have a little like I like to like go back and like ask him to talk like to tell me some stories and even like he's very he's a very educated man so sometimes I find myself like asking him for questions and like and he's he is such an inspiration in the best way possible and even with like his um his guard his guard has a daughter who he um sent to Mauritania for Muhammad Salah to raise because he was like apparently his reasoning was that he had never met a man with such such strong character and strength and belief and he was like and to believe in and the unseen at such an extinct that you are being tortured and you never looked away from from what you believe is is astonishing wow that was so incredible i remember the first time I heard about the case was actually through the film. I didn't know about the book. And I watched it with my family and it was probably one of the most horrifying things that I've ever seen. And to see this entire thing happen to someone that like is so similar to like you, like this could have literally happened to someone in your family. It's it's insane. It's mind-blowing. And I think coming out of that film, I just remember like it was such a rude awakening of like this is such a huge gap in the system, like in the justice system. And this is still happening today and no one's doing anything about it. No one knows that it's happening. Yes, there's this film to kind of reveal it, but like in general, what are we talking about right now? We're talking about climate change, we're talking about Ukraine, we're talking about all these other issues that are important. Yes but we're not talking about this. And if we don't talk about this, it's going to continue happening. Um, and to just respond to like what you said, I think one of the most inc incredible aspects of the story is seeing the resilience, um, the resilience that comes so much from having such strong faith because Islam is so rooted in like trusting that everything is happening for a reason. And also the aspect of like, forgiving people like this is such a horrible horrible experience but it's just incredible to me that out of all of it he was able to still come out of it with joy and and a smile on his face and 
having forgiven everything that had just passed because as you mentioned like if he hadn't it would have broken him um, so it's just honestly such an incredible story and i like i'm always trying to get people to watch the film or read the book because we need to talk about it more most definitely and i feel like the same thing kind of happened to me it was just kind of an eye opener because while I did know that Guantanamo Bay existed, I did not know what happened behind closed doors. And similar to a lot of things in in government, we kind of are just given a broad idea of what's happening or what they're, what's being done in this case or what's being done in that case. But what really happens behind closed doors or facilities or whatever, it's kind of just kind of kept from the people, you know? And even when I was speaking to him, he was like, there were aspects of torture that like the filmmakers, they didn't want to portray um, because it was too extreme. And he was like, and there were aspects of torture that even like now he was like, when you search up like Guantanamo Bay, you will see like the stuff they do and you think, well, that's horrible. And he was like, times that by 10. He was like, times it by a million. It's not even nearly how much they do. What they do, essentially what he, um, told me is they break you by breaking your faith. He was like, what he learned from every sense of torture is that all of their torture techniques are stuff that's against the religion. For instance, food, like we can't eat pork. They will force feed pork. You know, you can't be around women that are undressed or <laughs> sexual like connections with women, I guess. And they would bring in women or prostitutes to rape them. And if that didn't break them enough, they would bring in dogs. And he was like telling me, he was like, the whole idea was to everything that he was like, these people, they knew what was in the Quran. He was like, they knew everything. They knew what we could, what we couldn't do. He was like, they were educated in our religion. You know, they took their time perfecting their technique. And he was like, and the idea is that when they break your faith, they can break you. And I was like, to me, that was like, why? Why is that a thing? Why is it that to break someone or to get a false confession or some sort of confession from someone, you have to break their belief system, you know? Put me, put, put someone in an isolated room, okay, that's bad enough. Deprive someone of sleep, that's horrid, that's unimaginable. But to break every, every inch of what they believe and often your belief is what holds you down in hard times to break that you've broken the person themselves you're left with with someone who who isn't there who isn't present you know to see that he just had such strong belief system uh, str strong belief system and believed so much in the outcome that um allah had for him that it didn't break him is astonishing and it's just it's honestly like incredible and I even look at it and I'm like my like I'll look at it and I'm astonished at our system back home and our system back home has been one that I've always criticized but specifically in this sense because to give up your people or like a person from your country and it just be kind of like okay and to like sit there and lie to their parents and say that you have him and you're just questioning him or the guy who got him the cop at the time or he's not really a police the general at the time um his son is a close friend of my dad's and i grew up with his daughter and the interesting thing is that he um approached salahi and was like i ask you for forgiveness because i didn't regret what i did then because of money 
the aspect that money can change everything, can change who you are as a person. One day I'm an honest man or an, or an honest woman and the next day I can throw all of that away for, for a couple bucks. <laughs> for a couple bucks. And like to think that they really like the, the, uh, the generals that were in, the Mauritanian generals, they didn't get paid an amazing amount of money. It was quite literally like, I don't know, even if it was like millions, I just couldn't imagine doing that to someone. And someone that you know, that's the funny part because Muritan, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been away from the country, everybody knows everybody. I know when I go back home, like I'll be in the, um, in like the, I don't know what it's called, like the market. <laughs> and people will randomly like come up to me and be like, hey, you're this person's daughter and that person's this, how are you, how's this? And it's like, everybody knows everybody. If they don't know you as an adult, they knew you as a kid. And in that sense, that general, he knew him as a kid, he knew his family and they trusted that if you did take our son, it was just for questioning. It wasn't for um, sending him away to some covert like operation in, um, I believe it was Jordan. Honestly, when talking about the whole situation, I just kind of go on a rampage because the American system is kind of, idolized by a lot of countries this democratic system where you know people um they have freedom they have uh, the bill of rights they have rights you know the having rights is such a such an important aspect in being american and um being in america you know people run seek asylum from their country to be in america for these rights but to know that these rights are kind of what i've learned is like while they're constitutional and they say they can't take them to, they can't be taken it's like but you did, you did take them because even if it's constitutional, this man, the whole idea of the Bill of Rights is that even if you are not American, you are to be given those rights under American soil, under American court, you took them away. So what, what entirely is this government built on if in any aspect you can take something away from someone? These unalienable rights, well, if they're unalienable, why are you taking And even if he's not American, even if, um, he, he's some random Mauritanian guy you picked up. Give him the rights. Give him, you know, the right to to a fair, a fair system, you know? It makes me look into all these, like, loopholes and, like, back doors and ways that governments can get what they want without ever, like, telling the people. And in Mauritan, like, surprisingly, in Mauritan, I understand it because everybody already doesn't know much about the government. The government builds us a road, great, we're good kill 20 people it doesn't matter we don't need to know as long as you've built us a road something to keep our mind off of whatever you're doing and so that makes sense to me that in Muritan yeah there's hidden hidden things and like a lot isn't said to the people I know it's said to be a democrat a democratic like public but it really it isn't <laughs> it's just kind of corrupt but portrayed as not but in the sense of like the American government your whole government is built on the idea of justice and fairness and and due process and uh, and it's, it's it's funny when you look at the story and yeah i think the saddest aspect is just like in general the complete lack of human dignity in this entire case and this entire story and it's unfortunate it really is and i'm sure like even watching this movie like the movie like there were parts you probably like were like no i cannot watch this because that was me i was like oh god i can't watch this 100 percent. so where do you see yourself in five years inshallah i hope that i'm fresh out of law school and that i've had a couple experiences in law school 
I'm really obsessed with the idea of nonprofits and for good cause, of course. But my goal and I like have done so much research about it is that like right after law school, like once I've gone a couple years of experience that I would like to open a um, a nonprofit organization that's kind of built on providing education in um, Africa, reliable education and free education. And specifically in Muritan, like that's something that I want to give back to my country, like education that you don't have to pay for. Like when I went, I know that my aunts were like raising, um, they weren't raising, but they had um, girls under their care that our, um, our guard's daughter, uh, he couldn't, he can't afford to like send his two daughters to school. And so like my aunt took them in and like she pays for their education now. And it's astonishing to look at it and like be like, wow, I have the like opportunities that many don't. And I just want to kind of give back in the best way I can and be able to offer that to other people. I think mostly in Muritan, I would want to give the option of a free reliable public educational system. I hope inshallah that I do get the chance to do that um, or at least like to provide like even like things that you would never think of like let me ask you how many times towards the end of the year do you just have like random notebooks halfway filled plenty of paper left that you never look at again all the time and I look at it now and even now like I've gone into the habit of like, if I do have a notebook that I have, if there's still a couple papers, I'll just like rip out the ones I've written and put them in a little binder and continue using that notebook. Because being home, like when I went back home, we like went, we would like go to, uh, I think a couple years ago, I went to Ethiopia to visit my uncle who was like working for the African Union at the time. And he like showed us like these nonprofits, all of them, these fundraisers and like what the African Union was doing and he even told me he was like yeah they're they're doing something but it's not solving the problem he was like it's for one country yes but not it's he was like there isn't really a solution right now for every country and he was like even if there is the government isn't willing to implement it and for me it was like looking like at the like he like the amount of kids that did not have a pen and paper like a pen and paper, which is something that to us is like, you it's almost like clockwork grabbing a pencil out of your backpack. And the amount of pencils that are usually thrown at the bottom of my backpack are like insane. And it's like to them, like a pen and paper are hard to find. If you can't, if you don't have a pen and paper, well, walk to school, go to school if your parents can afford it. But whatever you're learning, you're going to have to just stick it in your head. You know, it's just going to have to be stuck with you. And I remember even my uncle, uh, he now works for the government in Muritan, and he, and looking at how much he's trying to change just from spending um, his college years and his younger, like, teen years or, like, his 20s in D.C. and spending his time in Ethiopia, it's incredible. He'll, like, I'll always talk to him about it, and he'll be like, <laughs> he'll be like, you know, uh, it's really just the idea of if you can't, like, even in his experience, he would tell me, like, for me, I wanted to go to school so bad. And he was like, so for me, I didn't, he was like, at the time, I couldn't afford to buy a notebook. And he was like, and have you seen those notebooks in Muritan? They're like super thin. They rip easily. Mm-hmm. Flimsy. Yeah, the flimsy ones. And he was like, those were like, I mean, like, I think for here, they're like close to like, I believe $10 or so. But he was like, $10 was so much there. And he was like, and it's not just something he was like, you can have and 
and like for him he was like so I would walk to school and he would walk because the closest school was like I think close to like six seven miles and he was like I would walk and and he was like I would get home like late because I was walking and he was like so I would go I would sit there and I would remember everything that she said and he was like and so often I would like if like on my way walking home I would repeat everything that was taught to me so that when I got home and I had the chance or I could finally get a book I could write it down I want to give like what I got the chance to have you know and uh, and education like I think if I I'm just glad that my parents pushed it so much and I I and not even in the sense I understand that if I wasn't interested in it my parent my dad would have gladly like backed off and been like you know if it's not for you it's not for you and that's okay but the fact that I was into it and that I was supported in it and I had every opportunity and that's um that's just something I would be selfish if I didn't have the idea of giving back in some way I think five years working as a lawyer inshallah and hopefully working on a nonprofit organization inshallah that will happen and you have incredible things in your future so i can't wait to see all of these things happen where can they find you on social media i think it's like z points um let me check actually yeah it is z points perfect and i'll have that link in the description box so that they can go stalk your instagram <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of plain. Like, I look at yours and I'm like, God, I need to, like, post or, like, do something. But, <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was such an amazing conversation. Honestly, we probably could have talked for, like, another two hours. Honestly. But I am, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad I got to, you know, catch up with you. I feel like the last time I talked to you, we were, like, eight or nine. <laughs> so, or, like, 13. No, 13. We were 13 the last time you visited so I think it was really nice uh, catching up with you. I'm really glad I got the chance to. And thank you for having me. I kind of was like astonished when you were like, oh, I want you to be on my podcast. And I was like, oh, I don't really know why. <laughs> but thank you um, for having me. And I'm so excited to see everything that you do, whether it be YouTube, podcast, uh, educational wise. It's just incredible to see. And I could not tell you how proud I am. And I know we're not like far in age, but it is honestly like I look at you and I'm like, she is doing amazing things. And she is absolutely, she is the moment. If there was a moment of Mauritanian girls, you would be it. And I am so glad to be able to, you know, support you in the ways I can. And even watching like every time a YouTube video comes out, I'm like, oh my God, I have to watch it. And I'm like sending it to my dad. And he's like, yeah, I still came out with a new video. We have to all watch it. And so... I just, I wish you the best in everything you do, and I cannot wait to see what you do in the future. And inshallah, many, many more years of success. And I hope that whatever you do, you remember, <laughs> you remember to keep me updated. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to check the show notes for any of the relevant links that we mentioned. I'll have the Mauritanian book and also the movie if you want to check it out. I'll also have Zainabu's Instagram so you guys can go follow her over on her Instagram. As well as other relevant links like the podcast Instagram, definitely follow it, join the community, be a part of the conversation. You guys can also rate and review this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate your guys' feedback in any way, shape, or form. But besides that, I will see you guys in next week's episode. Bye! My friends on the internet talk to me.